Hello, people. Welcome to another episode of The Rock Show. This is episode 93, and we're talking about a very special group, probably a group that wrote three of the greatest albums ever heard. Um, this is Big Star. And I'm waiting for Mike to do something so he can start talking about Big Star. I saw the documentary, um, Nothing Can Hurt Me, which was pretty damn good. I, I didn't know the uh, history of this group. This history, this group was um, pretty much pioneered. They were very good albums um, between... Um, I lost Mike. Gotta wait for a second then. See if I get him back. All right. Hey, hey. Hey, what's up, Mike? All right, sorry about that little delay. Right All right, there. yeah. So uh, I saw that documentary. So we yeah. talk about the group Big Star. They probably wrote three of the greatest albums ever heard. All the albums are fucking good, amazing oh, yeah. album from beginning uh, to end. I and think Rolling Stone actually puts those three, all three albums, in their top five hundred. Dude, let me tell you, these guys were as big as the Beatles, the Rolling Stone, the Birds, and they just like. They couldn't do it. They, they, the other guy, Alex, actually oh, went bro. on to produce another, do other great stuff. The rest of the group, that, especially um, Chris Bell. Chris Bell, man, what, yeah. what fuck up, man? Can, can you tell me he, a little bit? Of... Well, I mean, he, he was, a before the band was formed, he knew Alex Chilton. Okay? Yeah. And they were friends. They actually were friends from being like young teenagers. <clears throat> they saw the Beatles together, stuff like that. And, uh, Chris had a band. I'm going to go into it in a little bit. Yeah. And when Chilton, you know, was looking to put together something, he ended up connecting with him. And and the band that Chris already had in place kind of morphed into, into Big Star. And uh, Chris was, a, you know, I, I mean, from what I could tell, the, you know, the little bit of material out there, there's not a lot, okay? But the guy was a musical genius, you know? Yeah, but he, but he had a lot of he had a lot of personal demons, and uh, like all of us, and uh, he unfortunately, you know, was was killed in an accident and all that. But uh, yeah, what's a fucked up accident too? Like a yeah. light pole fell on him or something, right? Like yeah, he crashed into a, yeah, he crashed into a lamp post. I think it fell on him, and you know that <laughs> kind of thing. Um, um, let me answer a question. You, um, but I also think he lived under. For some reason, I think he always had to prove himself to addicts, because he yeah. seemed like to write better. Like he could put the lyrics like nothing. And well, remember, almost, Alex had Alex had, you know, hit singles in the yeah. box tops. Before, yeah, the, the letter, the box, write the letter and cry like a baby was was him also. Yeah, and uh, that you know, I mean, Memphis is a small town. Yeah, and they both of them were well known, okay. But Alex had the hits, and you know, yeah. When when the, when Big Star was formed, rock critics loved them right away, and immediately would would concentrate more on what Alex was doing in the band, which you know they did kind of in the beginning ignore Chris. I think later on, when they were rediscovered later many years later, I think Chris Bell was 
mentioned a lot more, but unfortunately it was, you know, too late. He was already gone. Yeah, because addicts put the group down, laid it on together, and they prayed for a few years. You know that? And I think Of course, you- yeah. Yeah, that was that was in the nineties, uh, when they had this resurgence. Mm-hmm. That you know, they're, they're kind of like uh I think in that documentary, uh No One Can Hurt Me Now, right? That's what mm-hmm. it's called. Um Very good. Lenny Lenny Kay actually from, from Patty Smith's band, Lenny Kay actually says it well. He he says how Big Star was like a like a jewel in the sand. Okay, and he had to dig him dig him out. And that's true because I never heard of him until I want to say late '90s, okay. Uh, they had already started coming around again. I, I, I had never heard of them, and uh, I knew who Alex Chilton was. I knew he had a solo career. I knew that he produced the Cramps and stuff like that, and uh, but I didn't know about Big Star. And it was like these three amazing albums. I really like, I really like really Radio City and the first one a lot. The third one is good. It's very good. It's a little on the depressing side, but it's yeah. it's, it's good. Um, Chilton was an interesting guy, and and you know he's one of these guys that I kind of regret never seeing live. I had an opportunity once or twice, and I just didn't go. I should have. Uh, you know, I do like I do like his music though, like his solo stuff and things like that. You want to hear something? They almost like jinxed themselves with the name Big Star. And, <laughs> well, they, and, and there number was a supermarket. One there, there was one? a super. There was a supermarket named Big Star in Memphis. Yeah, it was actually, I think, <laughs> I think when I saw the documentary, it was a place that they ate at, like a diner set for the Big Star. Well, no, no, it was an actual supermarket. A supermarket. But yeah, I remember they showed the, they showed the place and it said Big Star because they didn't even know a name for the band. They, they, <laughs> they, they just were like, I think when they when they named the band, it was like they didn't have a name, they didn't have an idea really, and they just took the first thing that came to mind. Because the Big Star Grocery Store was across the street yeah. from, Audit, from Audit Records Studios. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I they they in the documentary they talk about how I think it's uh, I think it's Jody Stevenson that says you know I I don't I didn't like the name that much because no. I thought it was pr- pretentious, you know, like it was pretentious. Oh, we're, we're big big stars, you know, but we're not, you know. But even know. the number one record. Yeah, number one. <laughs> they, 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 they didn't jinx themselves. They got screwed over by Stacks, and yeah. uh, Stacks Records, and and then Columbia Records, and you know, because the the record was out there, and that's the that's the that's the the sad thing about Big Star. The most is the music was out there, and people were hearing about it from rock critics. Lester Bangs loved them. Everybody okay. loved them. Everybody. Yeah. yeah, everybody loved them, and. uh they, they were, they were, uh, the music was out there, but you couldn't find it. If you heard yeah. the song on the radio, because DJ, DJs had the record, if you heard the song on the radio and you liked it, you couldn't find it in the store. That's messed up. That's that crazy. Happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know what they were saying? They were like almost like they got the, all the critics to come down and see them, like a union, like United. Oh, yeah. And it was like the who's who's of critics. And they yeah, were that dancing. Was a big, yeah, that was a big, uh, uh amazing. Thing that they were able to accomplish with that everybody to come down and see them uh that was after number one record was out and radio city was about to come out uh they managed to get this rock writers convention and play there and you know that that was a big thing to help push the band but again you couldn't find the records yeah that's incredible that's incredible that you could even find them 
And there were yeah. people talking in the documentary. We were trying to find the album. We couldn't find it. I heard the song on the radio. Then they would go to the store and they couldn't find the fucking album. I know. I know. And they didn't even realize they had a problem at first. It was kind of like they discovered it because people were calling up Arden and saying, you know, the, the record's not around. You know, and then they realized, I think it was Stax probably knew about it. I think, I think Stax was, you know, going down the drain anyway at that point. They, were, they had distribution problems. They, there was money problems. They would eventually, uh, within a couple of years, they would fold and leave Ardent Records, which was a subsidiary of Stax. They would leave them out on their own, you know. So that was, you know, by the time that happened, I think Alex was, was pretty much, you know, done with the band. They, they were, he was doing his own stuff at that point. Yeah, and he would he would get sucked back into it once that album got the third album came out. But you know, let's 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 get into it because it's a great story. All right. Know? So uh, you got to mention Alex Chilton when you talk about Big Star. Absolutely. Uh, he yeah. was born in Memphis in 1950, and he was the lead singer to the soul group the Box Tops. Uh, everybody remembers the song "The Letter," "Cry Like a Baby." Those yep. were their two. Those were their two big hits. Now they broke up in 1970 pretty much when Alex left the band. Uh, interesting enough is the letter, that song was around. He actually had performed that in local Memphis bands prior to being in the box tops. It's a little different the way he used to do it, but it was, it was a song that, that he had before that. Um, now, when the box tops broke up, uh, Alex spent some time in New York, and uh, he, um, he wrote, he, he wrote and, and released a solo album at that point. Um, just call, I think it's just called Alex Chilton. And, uh, he was actually hanging out with Roger McGuinn from the birds a little bit at that point. And, uh, he was like a kind of an influence on him. Now, blood, sweat and tears, the band, uh, was looking for a lead singer and they asked Alex, but he actually turned them down saying they were, they were too commercial. He didn't like them. So, um, he ended up in 1971, moving back to Memphis where he was from and connecting with an old friend of his named Chris Bell. Uh, Chris Bell was uh, a guy that he knew back when they were young teenagers. They saw the Beatles together, okay? Uh, they were both really influenced by them, and that was kind of their, for both of them, that was their inroads into music, going to see the Beatles and all that. Um, you know what? Chris Bell was almost like a musical savant. Like he like fit together, he could compose. He knew how to put music together because he pretty much did the album himself without real production. Yeah, yeah. Meant- I mean, once, once, right, once Big Star was was together and ready to record, uh, they let Bell, you know, produce the mm-hmm. album basically, even though he's not yeah. credited. But, but he but did he, know what he was doing in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Remember, and you would, you would, th- you would think Alex would know, you know, because he had yeah. recorded with the box tops. But oh I yeah. Don't think Alex, I don't think Alex gave a shit too much. But later on, later on in life, later on in life, he like take that for a producer, you know? Oh yeah, of course he would. He would. And he 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 did some he did some very good bands too. So he did. He did. And there's there's a lot there's a lot of money in that, you know, if you can get into producing. Um. So originally, when 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 Alex and 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 Chris Bell were were hanging out, um. They were thinking of doing, well, it was really like Alex's idea. He wanted to do like a Simon and Garfunkel type thing, like mm-hmm. a duo. 
And Bell was like, nah, I'm not interested in that. He had a band, okay? A band called Ice Water. Mm-hmm. And it was a three it was a three piece consisting of Chris Bell on guitar and vocals, drummer Jody Stevens, and bassist Andy Hummel. All right. Now they invited Alex down to go see them. They were very popular in the Memphis area. Memphis is an interesting place because you have yeah. you have this like combination mix of country, rock and roll, rockabilly. Uh, yeah, and and soul music, Memphis soul music. Okay, yeah. and it's all kind of like very intertwined into the society of Memphis, and kind of like very to itself and very different than anywhere else. Like when when punk rock got to Memphis, the kind of music was different than what you were hearing everywhere else. Yeah, uh, but you know, he was uh, Chris was in a band called Ice Water that was very popular in the local area and he invited Alex down and Alex was, was very impressed. He really liked them. Um, he had written a song called watch the sunrise and he played it for them and they were impressed with it. And they were just like, look, join our band. Okay. We'll make it a four piece. And he agreed. He went for it and they would change their name to big star. The ice water name would, would go away. And uh, they used the five-pointed logo with it. That was going to be their logo. And like we said before, it was really kind of like off the cuff. Uh, we need a name. And there happened to be a supermarket called Big Star, and it sounded good. So they used that. You know, um, They kind of began playing around Memphis right away. They did a lot of shows in the beginning, and they were very well-received. Alex was very well-known in Memphis, obviously, for his box tops fame. And, uh, you know, he was a popular guy anyway, even prior to that in Memphis. Um, Bell's popularity, okay, in ice water definitely made Big Star uh, a top draw to see live, okay? Um, Chris Bell and Alex wanted to kind of base their songwriting off of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. So what they would do is they would would write and make it like a, a, they would call it a Bell Chilton composition like lenny mccartney okay yeah uh most most of the songs that when chris was in the band were written and credited that way um they went into ardent studios in memphis which was actually a part of stacks records like i said they were a subsidiary um ardent records was a small label okay uh and they actually around the time of big star signing with them uh Stax was kind of uh, changing. They were under the, the the control of Al Bell. Yeah. Okay. He was like the pres- president of Stax, and St- Stax wanted to have like a like a rock music subsidiary, mm-hmm. and that's what Ardent became. And uh, it's kind of like what Motown did. Motown had a, a rock label. Remember we talked about that? Yeah. Okay. It was it was the same kind of idea, and. Um, uh, Stax was kind of, uh, th- they were kind of into their second generation of soul music. Uh, Otis Redding, which had put them on the map pretty much, had, had died, unfortunately. And uh, they had a whole new group of people. So they were, they were looking to expand into rock music. And Ardent was a, a Memphis local label that could help them do that. Yeah. So um, if you remember the documentary, they, they had uh, a, a pretty good state-of-the-art studio. 
at all. Yeah, the Suya was pretty uh, good. Yeah, so they would get a lot of overflow of if Stax couldn't handle as many people recording, they would go to Arden and not just do rock bands. They would be doing like Booker T and the MGs and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but they would sneak into the studio at night because I guess they were going to a school and then they would go there at night and record because everybody pretty much had keys and they were able to go there and record at night. So, they were, guys the school, the school was actually in the studio. In okay. the studio, all right. J J yeah. J John Fry, uh, the founder of Ardent, uh, you know, he was he would train producers and engineers and stuff like that, uh, during the day. And but I don't think that had so much to do with Big Star. Uh, I think it was more like so they could keep up with the overflow from stacks and have yeah. enough guys. So I'm sure that, stu that studio had to be going 24 hours a day, had to be, yeah. But these guys recording pretty all much, day and night because they were saying these guys were sneaking in at night doing the album, the Big Star, but they would go there yeah. and record hours like they would work all day and then just go to the studio at night because they all had keys. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they they were all friends with with, with John Fry and and, and, yeah. and uh, you know they they were all getting along and Chris Bell was obviously uh, you know in the studio he was great and they just let him produce it and Fry would kind of like oversee things a little bit. Yeah. Um, now this kind of magic between Bell and Chilton at Ardent would become uh, the the music of of Big Star would become what's known as power pop, in my opinion, okay? Yeah, or even um, alternative, really right? Well, yeah, in a way, in a way, uh, because I think that's kind of a little bit, uh, th there was no alternative in those days. There was no power pop in those days. It was just rock and roll, okay? Yeah. And But, but what they were doing was very different at a time when most bands were very heavy, okay? Everything sounded like uh, yeah, everybody was heavy, you know, heavy like blue cheer and that kind of sound. Uh, early seventies, um, it, it they they were like doing. I mean, sometimes big star. If you listen to it, you could hear like a little bit of the birds. You, you know, jangly guitars. You could hear they would get heavy. Okay, you could hear like some kind of uh, heavy sound that was different for the time. Okay, mixed in with like a Beatles pop sensibility, you know, just very unique. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they could be considered one of the first, you know, alternative bands in a way. Even like New Wave, because they were pretty much like that weird kind of groove that you didn't even know where to put them. Because they were like a little bit of country, yeah. a little bit of rock and roll. It was weird because you listen to them, it's not like a country, but they also sound like, oh, these guys are also jamming, which was weird. But they did and the a song, song could uh, a song could change, you know, mid yeah. mid tempo, just and it is just go like from the slopes, and they could just get heavy, then go back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, it, they were very very uh, innovative, um, and and I think in the beginning, uh, but you, you know, know they did Bell, the, I, they did the theme song for the '70s show. I never knew that until I started listening yeah. to that. In the I didn't in realize the street, that. yeah. In, uh, even, yeah, that's actually—it's actually cheap trick doing it. Yeah, but but cheap. they weren't they one of the guys. Song. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, that's song, amazing. But it's cheap trick. Yeah. Yeah. When you hear it on that 70s show, it's cheap trick doing it. Yeah. But it's they 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 were influenced by Big Star, which I'll yeah. get into. You know. The the only other bands, in my opinion, around the same time, um that were doing something similar would be like the Raspberries, uh, and kind of there was a band called Blue Ash that had been around since about 69, 70. Uh, they both these bands were from Ohio, okay. So this was a you know different part of the country, but I, I you can't think of really too many bands that really were doing this kind of sound. And and I mentioned those two because they're great. They're really known as you know especially the Raspberries are known as power pop. Uh, but all that at the time was was there wasn't the genre called that. Okay, so yeah. the only two bands I could think of similar would be those two, but um. Working in the studio, uh, they would often, uh, Bell and, 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 and Shilton weren't always there at the same time. They would go back, go over the stuff that was recorded earlier, uh, add a layer of vocals on top. Uh, often they worked separately. Um, and one thing, too, is that they didn't really write songs in the studio. When they, when they went into the studio, it was really just to record. They had everything all arranged. They had everything all figured out. So it was a very quick way of recording. They did that album very quickly. Um, sometimes Chilton, who was kind of like the edgier guy in the band, okay, yeah. he would he would put he would put like some you know heavy guitar or something on it, and and Bell would put down some some vocal harmonies on top of everything. So, yeah. Uh, the album was going to be called Number One Record. All right. Yeah. And uh, to me, like the main the main songs off it like is feel uh my life is right try again uh the ballad of el gudo okay which is a great song in the street yeah. we just mentioned that yeah uh there was a ballad called 13 and then also watch the sunrise the the the, the song that alex had played for them originally that was recorded by the band um you know, but Bell, even the album from beginning, from the first song to the end song, they're pretty much it was in the flow. The way Bell put the album, it was a continuous flow. You know, yeah. it had no like yeah. it was just here's, like you here's the album. It's fucking great. Great album. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is like this is like uh one of the greatest. I would put it in like the top one of the top twenty, top thirty best songs of all best uh, albums of all time. Uh, you gotta have this, and and the second one, Radio City. Um, you know, pretty much that's the logo of the Super Vodka. If they put a put star is. in there, they would have been sued. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know, I know. It's funny how they did that, but you know what? They they were really a Memphis band, so yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of like they were almost, you know, one in one with with Memphis. When you thought of Big Star, you thought of Memphis in those days, you know. Um, there was one track written by bassist Andy Hummel, okay, a song called The India Song. Uh, but the rest, like I said, were written basically by Alex or Bell or both, okay, and usually credited to both. Yeah. Now, producer and audit records founder John Fry, he got a production credit for the number one record. But Chris Bell, like we said, really handled all the bulk yeah. of the productions. He put in a lot of long late hours working on this he put his heart and soul into it um it, it's it's such a unique sounding album because it's a combination of being raw and being polished 
It's a very mm. unique sounding album. Uh, the guitar sound on it is very unique. Uh, it's polished in the sense it's, 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 it is a produced album. It's not live in the studio. It's very produced. Okay. But they just got this raw sound down. Uh, Chris Bell was really, really good at it. Um, yeah. When, when Big Star's album came out, number one record, it was released in August of 72. The record immediately got widespread acclaim. Uh, basically, over the next six months that the album was out, critics were, were raving about it. Uh, it would gain some popularity through touring. They went on a little bit of a, a tour through the nation. Um, but Stax Records couldn't keep up with the distribution. Okay, and that really was the main problem, like we were discussing a little bit before. Uh, critics would be writing about the band, people would be seeing them live, but you couldn't find the album, and it hurt them. That, that really, that really hurt the band big time. They ended up only selling about ten thousand copies of that album. In That's insane. And you know, it was a it was a major label. It was you know, Stax was a big label at that time. Um, they just you just couldn't find the album. And and that, and people would call Ardent and be like, "Where's the album?" You know, they'd be like, "We don't know. It's supposed to be out." You know, um, Stacks at the time was was probably being mis mishandled, misrun. Okay, uh, just run poorly. I think that there was a lot going on there. We got to do a show about Stacks. Stacks is a very interesting label. Uh, I've been thinking about that. Just talking yeah, about they the were, soul. They were, they were talking it. about it. They were bashing it like a little bit because it seemed they were going through some shit when they started doing all this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, what they did when, when you know, Stax knew they had a problem. Uh, whatever the cause of it, I'm, I'm not really sure. But they ended up making a deal with Columbia Records. Yeah. Right? And it was, for, it was for redistribution, you know, distribution of all their catalog, not just... Big Star, because Big Star, you know, we're talking about them, but they weren't the only ones hit by, you know, uh, this whole distribution problem. So Columbia gets on board. They're a, a major distribution label in the country, and they they say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna distribute the whole Stax catalog, including Ardent, okay, Records, which was the rock label for Stax. Um, but shortly after the deal. It, it, it kind of falls apart, okay? Uh, and and they they never really distribute the album. In fact, they kind of bury it, all right? Because they, it, it you know, I don't know if Columbia intentionally meant to do it or just didn't see any, you know, any profit worthwhile in pushing Ardent. But Big Star Records were actually, re whatever little bit was out there was recalled. It was removed from the shelves, so and, and labels do that. Like labels will get in touch with record stores and say, well, back when there were record stores, right? They would say, okay, uh, just send these back. We'll refund you. Okay. And, you know, you do it. Okay. And then the, the record is gone. And that used to happen sometimes. Um, it, 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 it really created, uh, you know, Bell, Bell was, was um, putting his heart and soul into this. And he was a very serious guy. He was a sensitive guy. And he put his heart and soul into this. And this kind of crushed him. He was like, this is an album that I put my whole life into. And it's just not getting out there. And, 
you know, he was doing drugs. They were all doing drugs. And everybody was. In yeah. The 70s. You know, I, he was drinking a lot. Uh, I think there was some emotional problems there, probably. Um, he had some conflicts in his life. Uh, you could see a little bit of that in the documentary when you watch it. Yeah, he was depressed. Uh, he was a little depressed. Well, he was he was depressed. He was he had conflicts about religion. Okay, he had con you know he 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 became a, a devout Christian eventually, but he was also conflicted by I think about his sexuality too. I think he was right. gay. He just didn't know it. So, so you know you get they don't go maybe maybe he knew it. and He didn't like it. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I, I think I know I much, you know, I, there's not much about that. In his life, yeah, but there was definitely demon was that, in there, and I think I, there was definitely demon in there. He to the point he almost he almost like um, hated Alex in a way, in a little way. He was envious. I, by him. I, I I think I well yeah, and Alex wasn't the easiest guy to work with. Yeah. Okay, you know he 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 had his shit going on too, and you know, yeah, you know I'm sure he he had his ego, and you know he he. I don't know if he thought of it at that point as just his band. I mean, there's interviews I've seen where he would, you know, rave about Chris Bell. Okay. Oh yeah. And say, say fantastic things about him. He didn't really shit on him, but I I think that Chris was doing a lot of work and Alex was kind of getting the credit for it. And I think that bugged him. I think it got under his skin a little bit. I I think that's what it was. and And a combination of that and the album just not, you know, being successful, everybody telling him how great it is. You know, he would read about the album in, in Cream magazine, for instance, and they would yeah. be raving about it, but you couldn't find it anywhere. And and this is what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to be a, a musician. He wanted to be a rock star. Uh, to see that kind of like just, you know, being held back by bullshit, you know, is yeah. really got to drive you crazy. Um, But also what would happen is... These guys were all, you know, in their early 20s. Yeah. And, you know, uh, they, they, they were looking at their life ahead of them and being like, well, if this isn't going to work, what are we going to do? And it created a lot of tension in yeah. the band. And Andy Hummel and, uh, and uh, Bell would actually get into some physical confrontations with each other. They really, had a bit really of a falling fucked. out. <laughs> really fucked up. Yeah. 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 There's, there was at one point, like, uh, Hummel punched Bell in the face, and then Bell yeah. retaliated by smashing his bass guitar into pieces. And, this, and then he retaliated by by jamming some a screwdriver through his acoustic Bell's acoustic guitar. Okay, yeah. so they were, they were doing shit to each other. Um, so even to the November, point that Bell yeah. attacked Flyer's car. He what? Uh, Bell attacked Fryer Fryer's car. Yeah, you know, yeah, Fry, even Fry was, yeah, John Fry was involved yeah. in the pro- in fighting too, you know. Yeah. It, it just was a lot of frustrations going on. Uh, uh you know, he was going Bell was going through this kind of severe depression um, yeah. by the by the end of 72 and Big Star was kind of done, okay? Uh after a few months in early 73, uh Chilton Stevens and Hummel put the band back together minus Chris Bell. Chris was out. Okay. He left the band. He couldn't deal with it anymore. And a few months afterwards, th- there was interest still in the band. 
And so they, they reformed, but without Chris Bell. Okay. And that's, they, you know, that's John, crazy. well, uh, you know, obviously they, maybe they couldn't work together, okay? yeah. but, but Bell, but Bell was still around. Okay. He was slightly involved in some of the songwriting of the next album, which is called Radio City. All right. Yeah. But Big Big Star at that point was just a three piece with Alex kind of leading yeah. the band at that point. Uh, there's tracks like uh Oh My Soul, Back of a Car. Uh these were these were bell compositions that had been around that they used. Yeah. Um he, he didn't get any credit. Chilton now was basically the he was kind of writing songs by committee. Everybody was was involved. Um, yeah. the album Radio City was again recorded at Ardent, released in February of '74 to critical acclaim again. Okay, so this is about a year and a half later, and they got a new album out. Uh, again, the critics love it. I think it's a masterpiece. It's 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 heavier in some ways than number one record. It it it's it's just a great compliment the two of them yeah, together. Okay, it really is. Uh, yeah, they're almost like it's like a continuation in a way. Um, now, the singles they would release off of Radio City would be Oh My Soul, which is probably my favorite track off the album, and then September Girls, which is a classic. Yeah, that's All a right? good song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, the album had the same distribution problems like the number one record, okay? Uh, it sold twice as much, though. It actually sold about 20,000 albums at that point. Um, again, now you're talking just Two albums, thirty thousand albums sold. It's not a lot, all right. Uh, people were hearing about this band, and again, you just couldn't find the records. Think about uh, rock, a million album. They probably would have sold a million album right away. They, I, I think when you listen to those two, you have to kind of wonder why they didn't. Yeah, right? it's crazy. They, why did they? Why did they not sell more? Well, you couldn't find it. You couldn't find yeah, it. Yeah, couldn't find it. Remember, there, there was there was no there was no internet in those days. There yeah. was no way to find the record. Yeah, I mean, I remember searching records out. Uh, if I was looking for one, I would hit five or ten record stores that I knew about, and eventually, sometimes you had to order it. All right, yeah, you, wow. you had to mail order it. You know, and and that was always a pain in the ass. But you know. uh it's not supposed to be that way when you're when you're on a major label. So they really but, got screwed with this again. Because check it out, they had, a lot of disc jockey had the album. They were playing the album because they liked the fucking album, and then you can't find the fucking album. But there was DJs playing the song close to right, close. And, and national magazines would be writing yeah. about them. Ro yeah. Rolling Stone. Okay, you had critics like Lester Bangs, Robert Christgau. Okay, uh, he actually Robert Christgau actually called Radio City. Brilliant, addictive, and twisted. I'm just paraphrasing, but but he 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 said like Chilton's. You you could tell like Chilton's eccentric behavior was was very apparent on this album. Okay, yeah. because he was very he was very eccentric. Uh, even in the box tops, you could tell he was like kind of out there. He'd be standing with the box tops. He'd have like a, a cigarette and a cigarette holder. You're looking like FDR with the big cigarette holder, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of funny, like this hippie looking guy, you know, with that, you know. Um, but it's again, it's it's an album of perfect power pop perfection. Okay, that's the way I like to look at it. Um, but when you do it, you know, lyrically and stuff, there's this like melancholy 
sadness to it, okay? Uh, the sadness to some of the lyrics and things. And it's just, it's an all-over-the-place emotional album, okay? Um, they loved, again, rock, rock writers love the band. Critically, critics love them left and right. And that's when, uh, and Ardent and Records knew that, okay? Their management knew that. Uh, they had, they had a, 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 a publicist that was very into them, okay? And they, they arranged the Rock Riders Convention to be in Memphis in, over Memorial Day weekend in 1973. And this was something that was done every year in different places where the Rock Riders would get together, okay? Um, and really, in a way, it was to spotlight Big Star because Big Star was the headlining band to see at the convention they were, yeah. they were playing there radio city wasn't out yet at that point okay it was being worked on written and they had some of the songs they did play everything from number one record uh and they did play whatever new material they had at that point and if you remember in the, in the rock in, in in a documentary we watched it was like the rock riders didn't give a shit about anybody else and then yeah. when Big Star came on, they all went crazy. They were all dancing around. Everybody was, you know, everybody was wasted. Lester Bangs was was taking speed like Andy, right? Yeah, they, they were all like, <laughs> right. you know, one guy was dancing in his underwear, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's tiny whitey that was saying, it's tiny whitey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ha having the time of his life. Yeah. Now, by September of '74, uh, you know, again. All the problems with distribution, the band wasn't making any money. Hummel would leave, okay? He would actually, I believe, go back to college. Uh, so all you were left with in Big Star was Chilton and Stevens, all right? Stevens being the drummer. Uh, they did decide, though, to go back into the studio. And they would use some uh, different musicians and work on a new album. Uh, the working title to the album was Third also called Sister Lovers slash Sister Lovers, okay? And uh, they, they would be back at Ardent again, okay? And, you know, it's amazing, too, because today you could never do this. If nah. you had number, number one record bomb the way it bombed, you'd be bye-bye, okay? You'd be, you'd be dropped from the label. Okay. But it didn't but, bomb because of them. It bombed because of the lab, label. Why would the label cut them? They could go... But they're not distributing it right. They're not doing the right thing by them. Well, you know? that that was probably taken into consideration as to not drop them. But you weren't making yeah. any money, and you were still sinking money into the band. Yeah, okay, you're still giving them recording time. But 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 John Fry from Arden, he really he really believed in them. I mean, probably more than any other band on his label. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and when the when the two of them, Chilton and Stevens, went back into the studio, they actually would complete. A new album, okay. Uh, they would be doing some live shows. They had some. Uh, they had picked up a bass player. They had done a couple of things, um, but by early '75, they would have this new album called Third, and they they weren't going to put it out right away. What would happen is they would press about 250 copies. Yeah, and they and and John Fry and and the management of Big Star, the publicist that they had would go around and promote it, okay? Uh, Chilton now was really writing songs alone for the band. Um, they, would, they would 
go take 250 of these records pressed and take it and just give it out to DJs, give it out to record companies, trying to push the late, you know, the new record, even though they didn't really have a distributor at that point. Yeah, nothing. Okay. So Fry put, you know, all all his money into it, you know, just to get these 250 records pressed. Um, third is, you know, Rolling Stone magazine would call it years later, uh, untidy, beautiful, but disturbing. Yeah. All right. And, and it is. It's kind of like a depressing album. And, you know, doing the research, I'm going to throw this out there. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure some Big Star fans are going to be watching us. I, I'm going to throw this out there because it kind of came to me last night when I was listening to some music and, and just getting ready for the show. Is um, That's what I do every week. I kind of like, I'll just immerse myself into what, you know, we're going to be talking about. And I, I kind of realized that, that Lou Reed, and, and and Alex Chilton kind of have something in common. Like like Chilton Chilton was kind of like Memphis's Lou Reed in a way. And Big yeah. Star was Big Star was kind of like Memphis's Velvet Underground. And I never thought of that before. And I, I think it's kind of like a good comparison because they were like the quintessential underground band. Yeah. Okay, for, for Memphis. And and Chilton was a son of Memphis in a way, you know. I mean, he was from there and just like Lou Reed was from New York. Uh, and he had a style that was similar to a Memphis style. Lou embodied New York. And I just kind of caught that connection between the two. Where Bell is almost like a John Cale from the Velvet Underground, you know, kind of like this overlooked genius who would, you know, Cale is, is still with us and went on to much bigger and th- bigger and better things. Bill, Bell, unfortunately, his life would be cut short. But, but at that point, in, in between 72, 73, Bell working with with uh, with Alex, it was almost like a Lou Reed, John Cale kind of thing. Okay. Maybe not as avant-garde, maybe a little more yeah. rock and roll, but but definitely like, you know, symbolic of the of the places they were from. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I thought that was a, an interesting comparison. Um and it's a very good comparison. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, there was a guy named Jim Dickinson, another Memphis guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he had his own musical career. He was very well respected. He would get involved with, with producing this album. Okay. Um, and basically, uh, they, they, he was friends with Alex and Alex had some music and he showed it to him and he said, why don't you produce it? And he did. Okay. Uh, between John Fry and uh, and 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 Jim Dickinson now on board. They took these 250 copies and really tried to push this album. They were okay. definitely moving they, around. They, 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 yeah, there was a track called Holocaust. Yeah, um, on on this album, which is uh, a classic. You have to hear it. That's all I can say. It's it's you know dark. It's a little catchy too. It's just kind of like a you know it hits you almost like the way a Velvet Underground song would hit you. Yeah, it was haunting. It's uh, haunted, man. <laughs> haunting, haunting, exactly. Um, but they couldn't get anybody interested in picking up the band to distribute it. They, they even they went to New York City. Uh, they would they would play some live shows at Max's and stuff like that. You know, music was changing by that point, and I have to mention uh, what was going on. Now, before I get into that, what was going on with Alex? But before I get into that. We're talking about 1975, 76, 
there was this underground scene going on at CBGB's yeah. um, and Max's as well in New York City. And it was catching the attention of Alex. Now, the album that he worked on, Third, would not come out then. It would, it would come out in 1978. Yeah, so it took a while. They, 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 they would shelve it because they really couldn't get any interest in it. Um, but Alex would, would come to New York. Uh, he would have a band. Uh, he would put a band together. And uh, I think it was called Alex Chilton and the Cossacks. Okay. Uh, they would play CBGBs. He was becoming interested in what was going on with bands like television. Uh, Terry Ork, who managed television, would, would put out some Alex Chilton music. Uh, he was becoming a fixture on the New York scene. And everybody yeah. respected him. Now, remember, he was still a young guy. He was only yeah. about 26 at that, 25, 26 at that yeah. point. Because uh, he started so young in the box tops. Okay. He was a teenager in the box tops. Um, when, when, when Chris Bell, man, we got to talk about him here. Um, when he left Big Star in 72, he would actually uh, work on a solo album. He would be recording some stuff. Uh, wouldn't have any, any takers for it, but the music would be recorded. Uh, yeah. He would be living in a few different European countries. He had an older brother, David Bell, who was living in France. So that was his connection to Europe. And uh, okay. I think they, they, they connected with each other. They were kind of living together in some different places, traveling around Europe. Um, and uh, Bell was at, uh, David Bell was actually like an amateur photographer or something. And he had some great pictures of Chris, which would end up being used, would be used on his solo record when it would come out many years later. Um, but what would happen is, interesting... EMI records would pick up the uh, the first two big star albums, and they would release them in the UK. Ardent didn't even know about this. They didn't even know that they bought it from Stax. Okay? Wow. Stax, by that point in the mid to late seventies, didn't even exist anymore. They had folded. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the catalog was kind of spread out and, and, you know, nobody knew what really happened, who, who controlled Big Star at that point. And they didn't even really think about it. So it turned out that the, the first two albums, Number One Record and Radio City, was actually released in the UK as a double album. And for some reason, it, it took off. And yeah. actually, the press, the press, like New Musical Express, the press in the UK, picked up on it and they you know people were being influenced some of the the, the remaining punk bands by 78 some of what would be like kind of like a uk pop power pop scene guys like nick Lowe, guys like robin hitchcock um band, guys that were would eventually in scotland become like the jesus and mary chain uh teenage fan club everybody was 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 starting to to listen to Big Star based on this this double album release, uh, but again the band didn't know anything about it. Um, it would all it would all kind of like come together. Uh, Chris Bell became aware of it, okay, uh, but you know unfortunately he 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 would he would not live to really see the the uh, the success of it, okay. Because what happened. Saw it. No, no, he, you know, it, it was just a terrible thing. He was back in Memphis. Yeah. Uh, he was working. 
Um, and I think he was driving home one night or something, and, and he just got into a car accident. He lost control of the car. He didn't get into a car accident with another car, but he lost control of his car and crashed into a lamppost, and he died. You know what? And it's in no drugs, no nothing. nothing. I didn't find that. Nothing. No, they, they think he, some people think he might have fell asleep at the wheel, okay, or something distracted him. You know, these things happen. A squirrel can run in front of your car, you know. Um, you know, he had been working on something called I Am the Cosmos. Yeah. And the single, the single for that would come out, okay, during, during his lifetime. Uh, so he was very proud of that, of that single. I had made this the, uh, it was a lumped up song at a night last night. And uh, somebody wrote uh, to, on it how, you know, yeah, this is a great song and a great album. Many years later, like Bell's stuff would come out, okay? After Big Star had a resurgence back in the 90s, uh, people would look back and say, hey, you know, what happened to Chris Bell? He's kind of like written out of the whole history of Big Star because they, he's only really on the first album. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and people became interested in it. You know, I guess it was his family who had control of it. They, they, they put everything out. And it's had like a huge cult following. You know who continues to write about Big Star a lot? And actually, I, I was trying to remember how I had first heard of the band. And, and I think it was through Ugly Things magazine. Okay. Uh, Mike Stacks, who's, who's the main editor for that. Uh, I've, I've raved about ugly things many times. And I think that that's where I probably first heard about the band. And when Chris Bell uh, had that stuff released after his death many years later, like I remember ugly things having a big write-up about it, you know? So it's, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, the third album was not released yet. No. Okay, now in the UK... The two albums were done as a as a double. In yep. the United States, you had them released separately, but you couldn't find them anywhere. Okay, they had a bit of a cult following, though. Okay, even among the the little bit of people that did buy it. Okay, because over the years, bands like Cheap Trick, bands like The Replacements. Yeah. Well, we're gonna do we're gonna do a show we're gonna do a show about them next year. Um, uh, Cheap Trick, The Replacements, R.E.M. would say that they were big time influenced by Big Star. All these okay. bands, yeah. Um, you know, these are American bands I'm talking about. And and one yeah. band you'd be kind of one band you'd be kind of surprised, but actually, if you know them, you're not. And that's Kiss. Kiss was very influenced by Big Star, and Paul Stanley said it was because of the hooks, the hooks in the songs. And he's right. I mean, uh, Chilton and Bell could write a great hook in a song and and yeah and just suck and suck you into that catchiness okay and kisses you know they got catchy songs right so yeah you can tell. yeah yeah now um the album the third album called third even like if you listen to the detroit rock city sounds a lot like the theme song from um it could have been on radio show. city it could have been yeah, on radio city yeah Good it point. could have been. It could have been on the seventy show, the opening too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely, almost the same. Definitely. It's almost the same song, but it's. Think about it. very very catchy, very catchy tune. <laughs> um, the album only had two hundred and fifty copies out at that point. That's crazy. It was never, it was never really, but but it was kind of bootlegged. All right, and people that were in the know knew music. 
they were like, yeah, you know, there's this third album that was never released by Big Star. And it was sometimes it was called Third, sometimes it was called Beale Street, Beale Street Green, uh, sometimes it was reco- recorded as Sister Lovers. Okay, yeah, on, Sister on Lover. And the Sister Lovers is an interesting title because because it it means it refers to the fact that Alex Chilton and Jody Stevens were dating sisters. These two girls, uh, Lisa <laughs> and Holiday, Lisa and Holiday Aldridge, and. Uh, Alex had a pretty contentious relationship with Lisa. Interesting story there. Um, you know, finally, yeah, what didn't, happened? Didn't she sing, like sing some vocal also on one of the on that, that album. album? Yes, on that album. Uh, and he was with her for quite a few years. Um, they would come out finally in '78. The album would come out officially. Okay, and uh, it, it would be released in the UK and the United States. Didn't do that well. It did probably better in the UK because they were more into them. But yeah. it did sell it did sell some copies. Now the band was no more at that point, though. Okay, in seventy eight. Alex had, you know, moved to New York. He was doing his own solo stuff. Uh in nineteen eighty, he would produce the cramps. Okay. Yeah, their that. first album called Yeah. He produced songs The Lord Taught Us. They would record down in Memphis. And you know that we we discussed it last year and uh, it was early this year at the yeah. the cramp the Tupac cramp show that we did for the rock show. Yeah, uh, you know that was a crazy recording session. They said that Alex was you know drinking and out of his mind, and you know it was amazing how he even got anything done. But uh, it's still a great album. Songs the Lord taught us. He was also involved and recorded on one of the the albums for Tav Falco and the Panther Burns. Okay, and he's an interesting guy, Tav Falco, rockabilly guy, little yeah. crazy, little out there. He still plays. He he played Bowery Electric last year, I think. He still wow. Out. Yeah. Now, over the next fifteen years, American acts like I was saying, like Cheap Trick, REM, uh, Kiss, acknowledged this influence of Big Star. Okay, and people were asking Alex about it over the years, and 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 he would. Be like, nah, not doing anything with that. Okay, it's dead. I can't write like that anymore. Okay, I can't do anything with that. And somehow, in 1993, he was convinced by people to reform Big Star. Now, Chris was gone, unfortunately, so that wasn't going to bring him in. Yeah. And and Andy Hummel wasn't really interested uh, in 1993. Um, so what they did was uh, they ended up getting a guy named John Auer and Ken Stringfellow from the band called the Posies, which yeah. were also big, big star influenced. Um, they got the band back together and they made their debut at the university of Missouri in the spring of 1993. It was part of a festival kind of thing. Yep. Um, now zoo records was going to put this out as a live show, which they did eventually. Uh, they also had an appearance on the tonight show with Jay Leno. I remember that. That's that's the I only time I ever too. heard. I remember watching. I was like, "Big Star, who the fuck is Big Star?" That that was my only I know, reaction. I know. I that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, like like by the mid '90s, I had pretty much heard of them, but you know, they were around for a few years before that, before I even knew about them. And I'm, I did see that Jay Leno thing, and I didn't really give it much thought. I should have. Yeah, I, you know, I, I saw it. I saw that. I remember seeing that because I was up, and there were like the musical guests and. 
he introduced it. I'm like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew who Alex Shilton was, okay? But but I'm like, who are these other guys, you know? And then they were around years ago, and no one bought their records. You know, it, at the time, I just it just didn't spark an interest in me. It took a couple yeah. of years. But um, now they would they would re- uh, they would play live for a while uh, after '93. Um, they kind of had achieved it like cults. Uh, people were coming to see them out of out of curiosity too. Really, you know, what's this old band that is supposed to be like an American Beatles almost? They were being touted as okay. Uh, they were basically you know doing everything off the three albums. Um, they had some new material that they were starting to work on. Um, but by 2004, 11 years into the reunion, they would hit the studio for the first time. Um, they would come out with a new album that would be released in 2005 called In Space. Came out on Ryko Disc in that year, 2005. Critics uh, liked it. Okay, um, David Frick, who's probably, he's still around, thank God. He's one of the best rock critics that we've ever seen that that's still around uh, for Rolling Stone. He he kind of said it best. He said they're an American the, the American Beatles expectation is unrealistic. Okay, I remember reading this, um, and it was because you 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 know after so many years and achieve, achieving that cult status, it's hard to create like a great album. And Alex's songwriting had kind of changed. Okay, yeah. you know he had been he had been influenced by you know, the seventies punk scene a little bit. So he was kind of like minimalistic. Now he wasn't writing these like big songs anymore. Like he did for big star. Uh, so it kind of like in space is a good record. And there's, there's moments of it where he recaptures that big star greatness. But to me, it kind of plays like a Chilton solo record. Okay. And I guess, you know, when, when, when you're really dealing with just two original guys, and Jody Stevenson really just being a drummer, he wasn't so involved with the writing. Um, yeah. Though he's very talented, I'm not knocking him. Um, you know, it was really just Alex doing his thing. And, you know, that's just the, the, the way it worked out. I mean, had Chris Bell lived, I'm sure he would have been involved with that reunion. That's a, that's oh, a shame, definitely. Too, you know? That, yeah, yeah, that definitely has changed. Now, now they, would, they would play for the next few years, uh, about five years, and... Tragedy would strike again in 2010 uh, before a, a show, a couple of days before a show at the South by Southwest Festival in yeah. uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, Alex was in New Orleans and he suffered a fatal heart attack. Okay. Uh, you know, when, when, when the fans heard about it, everybody was crushed. When the band heard about it, everybody, you know, they were crushed. And it was kind of a, you know, a debate as to what to do. And the initial response would be like, well, cancel the show at, at South by Southwest. But they decided to put it together almost as a tribute. Okay? Yep. And uh, Mike Mills, the uh, uh, one of the members of REM, uh, helped out. And, you know, he would perform with them. There was a bunch of people from different bands. Uh, they would even get Andy Hummel back who didn't join with that reunion as bass player, uh, he would actually play some stuff during the South by Southwest Festival. So luckily they were able to, to get the shows out, even though without Alex, uh, and it really turned into like, like this beautiful tribute to him. Um, and again, four months later, 
Andy Hummel would die of cancer. Yeah. So it was kind of like one thing after another. Uh, there really were no, there was no big star anymore. Okay. Now yeah. over the years, uh, there would be various releases, tributes. Uh, Michael Stipe would perform big star songs at tributes. Michael Stipe being from the singer from R.E.M. Uh, yeah. And then it all kind of, you know, it culminates in this fantastic documentary that we've, you know, we both watched this week called Big Star, Nothing Can Hurt Me. And if um, you enjoyed us talking about this, this band, definitely check it out. It's just for a few bucks on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else. Uh, you I was can actually for for find it on Pluto. Pluto got it for free. Oh, I got burned. I didn't know. Pluto had it for free. I paid for yeah, it. Yeah. Pluto. Oh. I saw it on Pluto, but you see what commercial? It's about two hours oh. and four minutes. And it's fine. That's I watched bad. it like that. I watched it on Pluto and it was free and um What 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 I, site on Pluto? Because I, I don't know what has movies like that. You know what I did? I just went on Apple TV and then they gave me whoever had it and they told me check out for free on Pluto. You can pay. Three ninety nine to rent it or whatever. So I went on Pluto and they had it. So I don't even know what channel. They had it for it's just free. One of for free, yeah. But you had to watch it with commercials. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's almost a two hour documentary anyway. So just two yeah, hours the, and fifteen minutes. Or something I think the documentary good. runs like an hour and fifty, but with commercials, it's like two hours and four minutes. That's not a lot of commercials. That's good. That's not a lot of commercials. It'd be like sixty minutes. It's not much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, this is one of these shows that I really, you know, got into the research, immersed myself into the music. And I, I, I think we have to do a, a whole show on Al Shilton. What do you think? Yeah, we probably will. You know? He was a very interesting guy. But, um, Mike, how about um, Eddie Van Halen passing away? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, we, we're always recording ahead of time. I know this show is not going to be up until November. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Eddie Van Halen passed away this week. Big loss. Um, what can I say to that? You know, I mean, he's part of my childhood. I wasn't. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a gigantic Van Halen fan, but I have a lot of respect for Eddie. And basically, the David Lee Roth stuff, especially the first couple albums, is what I go to when I do listen to them once in a while. That's the um, only Van Halen. Yeah. Now the vet, yo, Sammy Hagar, fuck it. I can't, you know. I can do a whole show on how he sucks, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he suffered for a long time, Eddie with the, with the throat cancer. It was almost 20 years. I think that he had that, uh, you know, they actually had removed part of his tongue at one point, uh, kind of sad, you know, uh, but he played not that long ago. I think it was about maybe. The last time he played was about four. I, I'm, I could be wrong. I want to say about four or five years ago. Uh, he had done something in California, and there's a great clip of it on YouTube. And you listen to it, and I'm like, Jesus, what year is this? It sounded like 1982. You know, I'm like, he's still wailing like that. I mean, the guy was a genius. You know? Yeah, he was. Absolute musical. All right, you know, there aren't that many rock gods anymore, and, and he might have been the last one, I guess. Uh, I keep, you know, it's funny, you know, we do all these shows, we talk about all these bands, and then, you know, I want to cover some new stuff, and there's just nothing out there that's interesting to me. I don't know, can you think of any new bands that we'd want to get into? Um, not a few local, right few, 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 a few local, local bands. Yeah, but there's nothing, yeah. there hasn't really been nothing uh, big. 
And then the other thing, how about that big shout out we got from um, Bill, Bill Kelly? Let's talk about yeah. that. How did that happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, first of all, uh, Bill Kelly's been around forever. He's a great DJ. He started out, I think, on WFMU going back many, many years. I used to listen to him on WFMU out of New Jersey. Uh, he jumped over to uh, Little Steven's Underground Garage channel a few years back. Uh, on Sirius XM, that's channel 21. He has a show called Black Hole Bandstand, and everybody should be listening to this show. Saturday night, if you have satellite, it's on Sirius XM, Little, Chief, Little Stevens Underground Garage, uh, channel 21, from 8 to 12, 8, to 8 p.m. to midnight. And I've been friends with him on Facebook. We talk sometimes. Uh, and... I just, you know, I, he knew he knew about our show. He's actually listened to it. He likes it. Okay. And uh, I asked him, I said, can you help us out? Can you give us a plug? And just took a shot. And, and you know, if he would have said no, I would have understood. You know, I mean, yeah. he probably doesn't have a lot of control over who he can plug. Uh, but uh, he did it. And last night, um, I sat in my... 1989 Chevy Caprice station wagon, all tricked out. You know my car, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I got because I got satellite in that car, and uh, I sat there between around 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock because he, he said about that's when it would be plugged, and it was exactly 11 o'clock. He came on, and he just said how, you know, he doesn't always listen to the underground garage. There's other great stuff out there, and. Uh, he found something that he thinks everybody would like, and and it's it's uh, a podcast and two guys out of New York, and he mentioned uh, Rocker Mike and Rob Rossi, you know, and and check out the podcast, and you know, we told everybody where to look for it on the podcast engines, and yeah. to look on the Getting Lumped Up channel on YouTube, and uh, he said it was a great show, and and I was like, you know, I, I felt like a little kid, you know, he's like, wow, man, you know, just like, I know, I was mentioned- like, what the. What- what? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and, and it was like you know i don't know how many people listen to to little steven but it's got to be close to like a million people or something. oh yeah all right i would yeah, think definitely. it's world it's worldwide i mean yeah satellite so it's got to be a lot of people so i really bill if you're listening and i really you know i really appreciate you doing that and we will plug your show for for from now on too yeah um so that's all I got for you today, Rob. Uh, you know, big now, star. Definitely, everybody got to check him out. Not bad. Like, you know, you got one great guy that uh, actually went on to be to um, superstar. And you got one guy that joined the 27 Club and all around. That's right. Like, we didn't see – Chris Bell was 27 when he passed away. He is part yeah. of that tragic it's, 27 Club. It's incredible. And the, and the guy never saw the success or so. Because I, I can tell you one thing. I, I have never heard. In space, I haven't even heard that album at all. It's okay. I like "I Am the Cosmos." Uh, yeah, right? uh, you know, and and I think for me, Chris Bell, and this is kind of mentioned in the documentary too, and I'll I'll, I'll agree with it. He had a, a way of writing a lyric that was kind of like funny, like a twist, and he would he would like in "I Am the Cosmos." It's basically like you know. Every night I feel like I'm the cosmos, but that'll never get you back. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. what is that? All right, what are, you, what are you trying to say? You know, it's like this giant ego, but it's like still not enough to get you back. So yeah. there's a, there's, a, there's kind of like this interesting twist of a lyric. 
Yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. Really good stuff. So yeah. um yeah. Mike, uh, next week we have the Stray Cats. The Stray Cats, yep. About time we and, got to them. They're one of the best. Yeah, so that should be good. Um, I also need you to send me uh resend me a list of what we do in uh December because I can't find it. I gotta write it down in my uh thing. We've so got, got... Uh, I'll I'll send it to you, but I'll tell everybody now we're doing a show on Frank Zappa, we're doing a show on Grand Funk Railroad. And we're doing a show on the only ones, the British band, the only ones. Oh, uh, Frank Railroad! All, all of all of that, all of that was requested. Uh, everybody in the Rock Show podcast group page voted for the December schedule. I, I had them pick uh, three weeks to pick, and we have a fourth week open that we're going to do something special. More about that later. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a live show from somewhere on the Lower East Side, maybe Seven B, maybe International, maybe both. See what happens. Um, yeah, uh, Frank Zappa got the most votes. It seems like everybody wanted us to do a show on Zappa, so I guess we're going to do that as a gift to all you people. Thank you. Yeah, hey, hey, you know what's funny? I don't know if we do a top ten list. I'm definitely putting "Fuck Your Feeling" up there. One of my songs of the year. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make "Fuck Your Feelings" the song of the year? I can do that. Maybe we'll do- <laughs> yeah yeah that I'm, was great uh that was <laughs> oh man that was that was fantastic this week with huff yeah yeah so uh mike how can right. people reach you if they need to get to you okay i'm on facebook under michael baker which is my real name um also dealing with the the rock show podcast group page on facebook everybody join that rock show podcast group page do like a lumped up song of the night you know, album of the day, all that good stuff. Um, yep. I'm also on Instagram, Rocker Mike two one two on Instagram and Twitter, Rocker Mike three. How about you, Rob? Um, I'm also everywhere. Anything lumped up? If you look getting lumped up anywhere, you're gonna find me. And uh, pretty much, um, you can reach me at uh, Rob Rossi at gettinglumpedup.com. That's uh, my email. Then you can also. Reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, every platform you can. And remember to watch the show on YouTube and hit that uh, smash button, that like button. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, subscribe um, and like. And subscribe. Subscribe to the channel because we're going to have um, – we're pretty much going to start doing some stuff that we're only going to put on the YouTube channel. And then we're going to have stuff that – we're going to put on the podcast. So, uh, you know what? The, the universe is changing. Every week we think of a new way of doing um, something. Yeah. You know? and, 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 you know, baby steps, okay? You know, yeah. I've been, we've been adding a lot of people to the group page. Uh, we've noticed that the podcast is, is hitting more people. Yeah. Have you, looked, have you looked at any of the numbers lately? So we, went, we pretty much went from 10,000 to this huge jump to um, close to um, what? 30,000 that we're moving up to 40 now. Like, it's moving up. Like, we get more and more viewers every day. We had, like, a record week a few weeks ago. We had over 4,000 downloads. So, you know, it's moving slowly but surely, but moving to the right direction. And hopefully this um, plug by uh, Bill Kell help us, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, the, I hope so. You know, and all the shows doing good. I forgot uh, this week I put up the... Um, Lee guest show. I put the conspiracy show, conspiracy sixty, and um, so on, so on. Pretty much, I'm trying to put like one or two shows 
every day up, you know, to keep the people like yeah. new contact. That's what people like. People like something new every day. And if you do four or five shows and you put one every day, you know, people are always looking for material. They don't know what to do. The plug us yeah. on, listen to us for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. And and you're great at that, Rob. You know, you're always you know, we we're doing the shows, but you're always getting them out there quick. So that's great. Yeah, I'm trying to sometimes I gotta listen to them two, three times because there's a little thing that I miss. Like I had to redo the um the Dean show because I didn't realize I put the wrong video up and then I realized, oh, I got this other cut. But in order to listen to the Zeke songs, you gotta listen to the podcast, not the YouTube. Yeah. Like so if you want to listen to Zeke singing all his songs. Ezekiel, Hagar, you got to go on the podcast. He got half an hour. He plays a little concert. And uh, so a little, also, bon little bonus material on the audio version. That's good. On the audio version. So that's the kind of things that I'm going to start doing, putting some stuff here, putting some stuff, some stuff on the YouTube. But the Lisa Guest interview, is it looks good. Um, I'm, I'm, it should be up today on YouTube. And I'm going to put it up on Facebook. On, uh, I'm put the podcast. I'll probably put it up either Monday or Tuesday. But the um, the interview with her on YouTube should be up soon. And once I do that, I'll put the link and put it up, and um, I'll hit her up too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Yep. So, Mike, remember, don't, don't get, get drunk. drunk. Get lumped up. Get lumped up. Take See you next people. week. Have a good one. Bye.